grace, mercy, and peace are yours through the Triune God. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m., we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. A reading from the book of Judges. Then the living one's spirit came on Jephthah. Jephthah made a solemn promise to the living one. If you will decisively hand over the Ammonites to me, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return victorious from the Ammonites will be given over to you. I will sacrifice it as an entirely burned offering. Jephthah crossed over to fight the Ammonites, and the living one handed them over to him. It was an exceptionally great defeat. But when Jephthah came to his house in Mishpah, it was his daughter who came out to meet him with tambourines and dancing. She was an only child. He had no other son or daughter except her. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me to my knees. You are my agony. For I opened my mouth to the living one, and I can't take it back. This is a hard story. May we find a way to say the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus crossed the lake again, and on the other side, a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Jairus, one of the synagogue leaders, came forward. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded with him, My daughter is about to die. Please come and place your hands on her so that she can be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A swarm of people were following Jesus, crowding in on him. A woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 months. She had suffered a lot under the care of many doctors and had spent everything she had without getting any better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Because she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his clothes. She was thinking, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Her bleeding stopped immediately, and she sensed in her body that her illness had been healed. At that very moment, Jesus recognized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, Don't you see the crowd pressing against you? Yet you asked, who touched me? But Jesus looked around carefully to see who had done it. The woman, full of fear and trembling, came forward, knowing what had happened to her. 
She fell down in front of Jesus and told him the whole truth. He responded, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, healed from your disease. While Jesus was still speaking with her, messengers came from the synagogue leader's house, saying to Jairus, Your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher any longer? But Jesus overheard their report and said to the synagogue leader, Don't be afraid, just keep trusting. Jesus didn't allow anyone to follow him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the synagogue leader's house and saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Jesus went in and said to them, What's all this commotion and crying about? The child isn't dead. She's only sleeping. They laughed at him, but he threw them all out. Then, taking the child's parents and his disciples with him, Jesus went to the room where the child was. Taking her hand, he said to her, Talithabun, which means, young woman, get up. Suddenly, the young woman got up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. They were shocked. Jesus gave them strict orders that no one should know what had happened. Then he told them to give her something to eat. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. When Gerald's family and I wandered into the Gentili Arena, at Loyola University in Chicago, the humidity of late August gave way to blessed air conditioning. We had spent the day settling Gettle's younger brother, Jose, into his residence hall, buying his textbooks for his first semester, and making sure that he would be able to feed himself once his mother and father drove back to Pennsylvania. You could feel anxiety buzzing on the breeze blowing off Lake Michigan. Parents worrying, will my baby be okay? And students wondering what's going to happen next. Loyola is a Jesuit institution, so the last official function of move-in day was Catholic Mass. Sitting in the bleachers of the Gentili Arena, we sighed with relief, <sighs> feeling the familiar rhythm of tradition in the midst of all the newness of transitioning to college. But that sigh caught in our throats with the first reading. I can still see the student standing at the podium saying, then the living one's spirit came on Jephthah. What? Really? Right before parents say goodbye to their children, they're hearing this harrowing tale of a father who sacrifices his daughter? Oh, come on. What a different story this is than when Father Abraham thought he heard the Almighty instruct him 
to sacrifice his son Isaac. In that episode, God stayed the patriarch's hand and said, uh, how about you offer this ram over there? But our ancestors in faith registered the divine silence in the story of Jephthah and his daughter. To make sense of it, they imagined God nodding in approval when the warrior's nameless daughter stoically submitted to her fate. Maybe you've never heard this story read aloud in church or anywhere. Plenty of people are scandalized that such a story, dubbed by the scholar Phyllis Tribble as a text of terror, is even in the Bible. But plenty more people have lived the plotline. The foolish and unnecessary promise blaming loved ones for your own bad decisions, accepting that blame and the accompanying abuse in order to be a good child or a good spouse. Some have survived this story. Too many, especially women, have not survived it. And all the while, God keeps silence. Even if God had spoken, I doubt that Jephthah could have even heard that still small voice ringing louder in his ears were the taunts of his half-siblings. We hear them at the beginning of chapter 11, how they ridiculed his bastard birth and his mother, the prostitute. Louder than the spirit within him was their rejection of him when they drove Jephthah away from Gilead, saying, you won't get an inheritance in our father's household because you are a different woman's son. Louder than the voice of his creator, were the voices of his chosen family, a gang of so-called worthless men who stood by Jephthah in his exile. Oh, we know Jephthah. He is the abused child turned abuser. He is the strong man who is terrified of anyone or anything that threatens his fragile masculinity. Even when the spirit cloaks him with power from on high, he can't believe it won't fall through. Not without a bargain. Acknowledging Jephthah's place in the cycle of violence does not excuse his actions. It will not bring his daughter back Neither will it bring back our daughters and our sons. Yet I catch a glimpse of recognition in this bargain he makes. Maybe you do too. It's the suspicion that 
God or the universe operates in a transactional manner, something bad for something good. I can feel that suspicion rise like bile in my throat when Jesus turns around and asks, who touched my clothes? Come, stand next to the woman in the pressing crowd, the woman who for 12 years has slowly hemorrhaged blood and hope. You saw her reach out her fingers to brush against Jesus's cloak. You saw how her posture subtly changed when she realized her bleeding had immediately stopped. That illness had evaporated from her body. Now you notice her body go rigid as Jesus scans the crowd. Oh, it's time to pay up. That power wasn't hers to take. Something bad must be given in exchange for something good. So, of course, she is trembling in fear when she steps forward. Of course, she falls to the ground in front of Jesus, ready to accept the divine punishment he'll surely dole out. Friends, instead, receive the divine gift of Jesus' words. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, healed from your disease. Jesus was looking for the person who had touched him, but not to rebuke or settle accounts. Jesus searched the faces in that crowd because God gets personal. An impersonal God handles bargains. An impersonal God manages accounts of good and bad. An impersonal God won't stop a father from murdering his only child because a deal's a deal. But the living one doesn't think of you as a number. The one whose spirit overshadows the undeserving, the one whose passionate love for creation became flesh and blood in Jesus Christ, that God knows you by name and seeks you out in the crowd to say, daughter, to say, son, to say, beloved child. God gets personal. Don't you think that Jesus would have wanted to address the healed woman as daughter to her face? He wouldn't have towered over her. No, this is Jesus we're talking about. He must have knelt down in the dirt next to her. Don't you think? He must have reached out to lift her face, downcast with shame. He must have looked her in the eye when he said those words. Daughter, your faith has healed you. 
go in peace. And I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if Jesus, speaking that tender name, daughter, remembered all the other precious daughters who were swallowed up by violence. Maybe he remembered how the story of Jephthah's daughter ended with her unnecessary death, yes, but also how chapter 11 of the book of Judges acknowledges how she gave rise to a tradition in Israel where for four days every year, Israelite daughters would go away to recount the story of Jephthah's daughter. Did that tradition live on, do you think? Did Jesus learn it from his mother, maybe? Mary, whose own precarious pregnancy risked violence from her own community. When Jesus spoke the name daughter, he must have known how powerful those syllables could be. God gets personal, calling each of us daughter, son, beloved child. That has consequences for those of us made partners in Christ's ministry of healing. First and foremost, when Jesus looks someone in the eyes and calls them beloved child, that means that they are siblings to us. The woman who has bled for 12 years is our sister. The woman who shows up at the 12-step program is our sister. The people who carry the inner scarring of abuse are family to us, challenging us to speak honestly about the violence that disfigures God's good creation. Lately, I've been thinking about the siblings whose voices I am uncomfortable hearing. I think of a voice like Arwen Donahue, our sister in Kentucky. For more than 20 years, Arwen has lived and worked on her farm in rural Kentucky. It's not an easy existence, but because she chooses it, she finds freedom in that life. At the age of 40, when she accidentally became pregnant, she found freedom in making another painful choice to seek out an abortion. Out of love for her seven-year-old daughter, out of love for her existence as a farmer of the land, she and her husband drove 230 miles round trip to Louisville, to the only remaining abortion clinic in the state. Now, to be crystal clear, I have never walked in the world with a female body, so I cannot and will not judge an individual woman's choice to keep or to terminate a pregnancy. I simply cannot, 
cannot judge that decision. When a daughter of God makes either decision, my job as a disciple is to listen. God gets personal, and so must we, opening our hearts with the same compassion that broke Jesus' heart time and again. As a disciple, I must listen. But when my sister asks me to advocate on her behalf to lawmakers, then I start thinking about bargains. How can I make sure that I don't pay any price for speaking up? Can I stay silent and pitch in anonymous money to this or that cause? If someone calls me out on either side of the aisle, will I throw myself at their feet, afraid of looking them in the eye? For what it's worth, I have felt Jesus reach down to lift up my head, to look me in the eye. I have heard him call me a beloved son, even when members of my own family doubted that fact. So I am inclined, I am led even, to trust Jephthah's daughter when she hears the state of Texas open its mouth to the living one with intentions to prosecute and sacrifice citizens exercising their constitutional right, I will trust her and I will listen. Listen also to daughters of God who understand abortion very differently than Arwen in Kentucky or Angela in Arkansas or Amelia in Texas. I will listen because God's healing grace is shown in real, messy lives. That's another aspect of being made partners in Christ's ministry of healing, to witness what God is doing in real, messy lives. To witness, that means resisting the temptation to rush in and try to fix others. It means tagging along with Jesus like those three disciples, Peter, John, and James, to stand at the foot of the bed while the Savior takes a young woman's hand and says, Talitha kum, daughter, arise. To hear God call us, daughter, son, beloved, child, that is a gift. To witness God's love poured out on others and to become family to them, that too is a gift and a challenging call. Deep thanks then that God gets personal. 
and gives us the grace we need to share this messy life with each other. Deep thanks, then, that God gives us grace enough to practice following the way of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit who is stronger than any bargain we could ever hope to strike. Deep thanks, then, for this grace. And for such grace, let us give all glory and all gratitude to God, creator of sun and soil, Christ, the bread of life, spirit who bids us come and dine. Amen. Amen.